Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf and I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. Today's episode is sponsored by Script Runner. If you already use or want to use PowerShell to manage your Microsoft Teams, check out the free Microsoft Teams PowerShell guide that they have. It contains eight pages uh, with ready-to-use PowerShell snippets and real-life examples. Check that in the show notes. So welcome back. What's up, Yussi? Hey, Toby. So what I've been doing lately is I've had to reschedule all of my planned flights. And I don't mean to sound as if I have dozens of flights waiting waiting to happen but a couple of a couple of the flights recently i couldn't do mostly because of the pandemic situation but now what we have is as uh, we, we we've got a family trip booked and the reason we decided to book this already last year is that starting this year you can do a direct flight from helsinki to los angeles so that's about 9,000 kilometers or 5,600 miles per way. So it's going to be about, about 11, 11 and a half hours. So that's going to happen hopefully this summer. And I'm, I'm sort of eagerly waiting to do this trip, just, just to travel a bit more. But at the same time, I'm not looking forward to having a long flight, the massive jet lag and the immigrations and the customs and everything else. After such a long break, you've sort of forgotten about all the downsides in there. But I'm set now and perhaps six months from now, I'm finally done with this flight and I can share my my thoughts and feelings on that after I've recovered from the jet lag when coming back home again. But probably that's that's been in my mind lately. All right. Um, sounds nice. I do miss travels, but I don't miss the long flights. Um, right now, I'm not traveling at all because we have house renovations going on and they start tomorrow. So that means we're going to tear down walls, uh, get some new drywalls up and putting tiles on the floors and doing all sort of like uh, renovations and upgrades to get this 50-year-old house in shape. So we love the location where we live. So perhaps we want to live here for some time now. So investing into the house to make it a bit more modern here and there, but at the same time, perhaps reserve some of the uh, the charm from the 70s is pretty sweet. So therefore, the main task I'm doing outside of my business hours right now is to prepare all the construction works and, and prepare for the construction works coming over. And I just deployed a new container on my driveway, not, not talking about container instances or Kubernetes, like an actual dumpster container where we'll put all the renovation um, stuff in so it can go to the correct disposal facility and it's a bit different and uh, never done that before we usually lived in in newly built houses or newly built apartments and now we have something built more than 50 years ago so it's super old and very different uh, but at the same time pretty fun to uh, uh, to do this so we're not doing a lot of it ourselves we're taking uh, help from construction workers who who know what they're doing, so we can kind of do the plans and designs around it. So, so it's pretty exciting, and at the same time, finalizing the plans that we mentioned in a few episodes ago. Um, we're now doing an IKEA kitchen using their 3D planning tool, where you can kind of walk through the kitchen and see everything with the correct colors and things like that. So that is 
all part of the big house renovation. So it's a, probably going to be an interesting 2022 for me uh, in that sense. Sounds interesting. The, the last renovation we had was exactly a year ago when we had the, uh, the water leak in the main bathroom, which meant that we had to have somebody to renovate the whole main bathroom. And that meant somebody was living in our house every day from seven in the morning until about six in the evening for six weeks straight. And every time now I go to the, take a shower, I keep, keep remembering, yeah, we had this guy here for six weeks and I still don't know his name. But for now, today, this is episode 117. Make sure to have a break glass admin account. Toby, do you have a break glass account? I don't necessarily call it a break glass account, uh, at least not internally, but I do have one. Uh, I have several, in fact, because I, I have more than one tenant, more than one directory, and I, I have several things that I manage. So I, I do have a couple of those. What about you? I have, I think I have two, one for all business related things. So there's a couple of tenants, couple of setups, and then one, I would say perhaps it's a break glass account in the sense that somebody else in my household knows how to get access to that account. Should I be somehow incapacitated to do something? So I would say I, I have two in my mind. And if, if somebody listening on this goes, well, what is it then? In essence, it's an emergency account that allows you access back to Azure and, of course, Microsoft 365 and Power Platform and Dynamics 365, even back to on-premises, if you choose so, when things fail, meaning that it's not your regular account, because that shouldn't be a global admin, and it's also not your regular admin account, perhaps you would use, but this is a separate account that you keep hidden and locked away so that if things break or if there's some sort of a panic that you need to be able to rapidly log in to fix or change something so that you can resume services or email is flowing again or, or whatever the problem is, then you need this specific type of an account, which is an admin account. So, Perhaps we talk a little bit about PIM, Privileged Identity Management, here at the same time. So, so that's a separate feature. Uh, I don't think we've had an episode on that, but it's been available for a number of years now. And that allows you to elevate permissions for regular users when they choose to need the access. So would you say, if I don't want to create a break glass account, if I'm simply utilizing PIM, Privileged Identity Management, would you say that's enough? Or would you use the, the two of these, like have a separate break glass account and also enable PIM or do something else? So I think the more things you rely on, the, the more risk you're going to have, right? So if you now rely on the PIM um, to access your admin account and PIM does not work, how do you then access your admin account? Right, so I think that's the entire point of a like a break class. It's something you don't really use, but when things happen and and there is a situation where you really need to get access to your system, uh, you know, fairly quickly, perhaps even, then you don't want to rely on other dependent services to uh, to be up and running or work. You just need to get in. So I would say, like PIM is. There are situations where I would use PIM. Uh, but perhaps not for the emergency break class situations. 
but more for situations that we do see occur every now and then internally where someone does need to go in as an admin for a specific amount of time or you know need to do something for whatever reason during this time frame that we can allow them in you can use pin for that and when you have an emergency for whatever reason you need to go in quickly with an admin account because you cannot access your normal admin account for for whatever reason that is like the fay being down or you know whatever it is make sure it can get in and don't rely on too many services so pim has uh you know many use cases but i would not perhaps personally i would perhaps not rely on that for for my break glass specific accounts which in theory i should never have to use but if i do need them they need to be accessible that's that's a solid advice um i can recall a couple of instances where i really needed a break glass account and i knew i had those for a specific tenant one of those uh, instances or problems we had in one environment was the identity synchronization failed. There, there was some maintenance work being done in one of the domain controllers that was running uh, as Ready Connect. And for some reason, the authentication mode hopped from pass-through authentication to uh, password has sync. And something failed, users couldn't log in somebody called me, can I, can I take a look? And then I realized that I couldn't log in using any of the traditional accounts because they were all federated accounts synchronized from the on-premises AD. And since I couldn't complete authentication, I couldn't get in. But then I remember we did have one extra admin account, which is actually using the cloud identity in the UPN, meaning it's something at tenant.onmicrosoft.com. And that bypasses, of course, all of the, the federated identity requirements because you're authenticating directly against Azure AD. So, so that was a quick fix in that sense. But then uh, I think this was uh, late last year, I was delivering a workshop and somebody was asking about Azure AD security and conditional access. And I did a quick demo. It was a sort of test tenant, but I only had one account in that tenant because I, I had just set that up. And I demoed on how you can configure a conditional access policy. And I was super certain not to enable it and just keep it in report only mode. And at the time, there was there was a new feature in there that, that uh, Azure AD can pinpoint your location using the uh, Microsoft Authenticator app on your mobile device. So I, I figured I'm clever. So I blocked all logins except those originating from Finland. I figured, well, I can trust anybody in Finland because we're only 5.5 million people. And I enabled that. And somehow I forgot to leave it on report only mode. And yeah, it kicked me out immediately. And I couldn't, couldn't get back in without some, some, some magic tricks after that. But I feel we sort of, Everybody understands why you need this, but this is not by design when you set up a new Azure AD tenant, for example. So somebody setting this up, what should they know? Toby, what would you define as the special characteristics of a break glass account? So I think you already touched on some of those things. Um, one is uh, use a cloud identity. So if you're in Azure AD, which is what we're talking about, uh, use the dot on markshop.com account name so don't tie a custom domain to it or a custom uh, custom uh, c name or, or dns or 
whatever you have, because if, if there's a problem with DNS, you cannot access it, right? Because if, you, if you're using an account that cannot resolve in that moment of time, again, remove as many dependencies on third-party services and, uh, and yeah, third-party dependencies altogether as you can, including DNS. So always use the .onmicroshop.com UPN, uh, which I guess is the, the first advice and might not look as cool to have the dot on something admin or whatever your name is to not have the same custom domain as all the other accounts you own or, or have in your directory, but it's for good reason. So whenever there's a, a dependency failure, you don't need to rely on that. Uh, other than that, I, I mean, the, the usual stuff, um, generate a password. And I mean, generate a password. Don't use the favorite password that you use now for eight years and you just modify the last digit, which is the, the number of the year, <laughs> and, and then change from a plus sign to an exclamation mark, because that's not really a complex password as such. So, um, you know, do those things. Um, the account obviously needs to have as much privileges as required. So usually this is a admin account uh, or, or a global admin. I have also seen situations where we've had break glass accounts that are not global admins because they were kind of break glass um, accounts, not for your entire organization or your entire directory or tenant, but more for specific services within the tenant. So when you have a, an enterprise with delegated admin access throughout a bunch of services, you can also set this up per service uh, in some cases, uh, because in, in some organizations, I know it might be difficult to have uh, you know, someone with global admin access, but in situations like these, anyone who can access a, a break glass kind of account does have the authorization and, and privilege to do so for good reason. So it's not anyone who can do that. So I guess those are the, the things that come to mind. I mean, make it complex, uh, make it an admin account or global admin if that's applicable to you. Don't use a DNS or a custom domain on it. Use the .onmicroshop.com. What am I missing here? Did I miss anything that you do? Really solid advice. And I realized that certain environments, they dictate the use of PIM. So if, if you really have to use PIM, and I'm saying this positively because PIM is great, but if you're restricted that you cannot exclude the global admin, this new break glass account from PIM, it has to be a permanent assignment not a temporary or eligible one so that when you need the access you realize well i'm just a regular user or a guest and somebody needs to approve my my request to to elevate myself as a global admin uh, for me i usually exclude the break glass account from pim and yes definitely use a, a complex password i keep it as a global admin but as you said it could be something else perhaps a custom role uh, on passwords, uh, once you have the complex password, you need a place to store the password. And while it's often a great idea to use a password management tool like 1Password or Bitwarden or something else, what if that fails or what if only one person has access to the password database and that person is not reachable? So on Microsoft the Docs, I did see this insight that ideally perhaps store the break glass accounts password on a piece of paper, but divide that paper in three pieces. So each piece has one portion of the password and store those three pieces of paper 
in a secure location. So it could be that one piece of paper is at the office at the uh, CIO's safe and another it might, might not be in the same office, but somewhere accessible. And I wouldn't make this too challenging, meaning that if there really is an emergency and you need to just get in to flip a switch or change something, it, it's, it's not realistic to assume that you can drive three hours to a different location to pick that one piece of paper if you cannot call somebody else. So perhaps have those three individual pieces, but don't store all of them in the same safe behind the same pin. I've, I would be cautious here, but I've, I've, I wouldn't take this over the top in that sense. At times I've, I've considered, I haven't done this, but at times I've considered that I should call my bank because banks often have, have rental walls like those you see in the US movies. They always, when they break into the bank, there's, there's the small safes uh, with, with customer defined pin codes. So you could rent one of those and store one piece of the paper there. But what if it's a Sunday and you cannot access the bank? Then again, you, you always have a problem now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can heed my advice from you know, my, my uh, university teachers who turned upside down on the keyboard and they had a sticker posted note <laughs> with the password and the username and the domains to sign in and the tools and where to find them and the address. And <laughs> so obviously don't do that. Uh, you can obfuscate these, uh, these pieces of paper a little bit by putting a number. So if you have three pieces, it's number one, two, and three, so you know which order, but you can change the order of the numbers and then ah, clever. it's tricky. <laughs> uh, I, I, I hadn't I, thought of that. I, I don't hear often um, that it's a good idea to store anything on a piece of paper, um, but I like this idea of storing it um, divided into three. I am, uh, you know, since 2016 or so, I, I got in, into uh, exploring blockchain and cryptocurrencies a little bit. And there is something called a hardware wallet. Uh, where you can store your, your coins and tokens and things on. Uh, and you can only then, so that, that's like a, the ledger, if you will, which is online, but the private keys to actually send any coins resides on your hardware device, which is USB powered. So you don't want to have it on your computer in case someone has a key logger or anything else. So, so doing that is a, is a good idea. And the one I'm using also have this functionality of splitting it into three uh, where you have to have at least two portions uh, or two of the devices out of three in order to actually make any transactions. So someone can go to my house and steal one of those, but that is not going to do anything unless you have two out of three or two out of whatever amount you have. So, so it's a similar idea that you kind of spread it out and because you don't need to do it very often, but when you do need it, you can kind of assemble that information and get the access that you need. So I, I like the, like the idea. The way I work personally, I work from home. So if I were to have post-it notes, it would have to be, you know, one in the safety deposit box in my home. Another one would have to be off location, which is not in my home. So I'm not sure exactly where that would be. But you can also use different offline devices, which are not connected to the internet, where you have like a password manager, offline password manager, like KeePass or something like this. Uh, that can also store pieces of information. So I guess there's many different ways for that. And I also think that most organizations of, of a certain size have the procedures in place for a lot of these things already for where to store information. 
Um, if not, it's a good idea to think about that. So I, I like the topic of this, uh, of this dialogue because it's such a simple thing we're talking about, right? But it's, it's a lot of times I end up in dialogues where I say, well, how do you access your tenant if you cannot access your normal admin account? Well, I wait. And that's, that's usually, I, well, I, if it doesn't work, then I'll go get a cup of coffee. Right, but so now your service and your SaaS and your cloud is on fire or you just got hacked or whatever and you cannot access your, uh, your global admin account. What do you do? You need to have a contingency, right? And not a lot of people think about that. And then granted, of course, there's quite a few dialogues I've been where they had uh, smart solutions for this. I never heard about the, the paper divided in three, but I like the idea. Uh, it resonates with how I know other industries divide things as well into three or more pieces where you have to assemble X amount of pieces to, uh, to get the full picture. So for those pieces of paper, you could even have an overlap. So if it's 40 characters in total, you could have 20 characters in each paper. So you have a small bit of overlap. So with two pieces of the paper, you could assemble the password in theory. But yeah, I like that. So, so that's the password thing. But what about the strong authentication? How do, how do we do that? You should generally have like a two-factor or multi-factor authentication in any account that you have. Does that apply in this situation as well? Yeah, that's the interesting bit because obviously you would think that, well, this is a admin account that I rarely use. But whenever I'm going to use this, I want to make sure that the account itself is secure, regardless of the, of the complex password. So definitely do enable two-factor authentication. So, so for Microsoft, that would be multi-factor authentication. But then you're reliant on a, a physical device like your phone or, or something else. So what if the phone is inaccessible or you cannot charge that or the phone is stolen? Obviously, you have a problem. So, so the sort of wisdom goes that for this reason, you need to have two break glass accounts. One, which is what we've been discussing so far, and another, which is almost identical, different password, different account, of course. But the second one would not have strong authentication enabled. And the password would be something even more complex, even more securely stored. But the one that does have MFA, this is something I sort of realized recently. You can register multiple phones for a single account. That way, uh, if you need to log in, you could have three phones and they could be in secure locations. But then you're reliant, of course, that you have internet connectivity, that the phones work and that you can receive either through Microsoft Authenticator, the, the, the challenge, or you can receive text messages and use those. Of course, you have the passwordless option as well, like Windows Hello and Fido2 tokens that wouldn't then require the phone to be connected. I'm sort of a fan of the Fido2 tokens, and we did do an episode on passwordless, I think about 40 episodes ago. And perhaps that would be one option to have the extra security because now you need the password in three pieces of paper, plus you need the token, plus you need to know the actual account, plus you might need to have a specific computer where you would access to do whatever you need to do. Yeah, I, I like this idea. Uh, we also hear a lot in the, in the cybersecurity circles that you should never have a phone number connected to MFA because you can do the SIM hijacking stuff like that. But of course, if it's, a, if it's a number that is not registered to something else, then maybe 
there is a, a chance because you still need to have the password, of course, to uh, to do anything. I, I really like the idea of having a Fido 2 key. I do use some of those UB keys or whatever you call them. I don't use them regularly now because I on my laptop, I have a fingerprint sensor. So I can use biomet- biometric sign-in this way or Windows Hello with the, uh, with the camera. Um, but again, uh, if you don't access this account now for a few years or for whatever amount of time, you know, how do you ensure that that USB device still work? Could it have broken in that time? And will that render your right class account uh, inaccessible? Or possibly you have multiple ways for the MFA specifically. So you might have uh, Windows Hello, you might have this key, but you might also have a, a text number or an authenticator app on one, one device that you know will always be accessible. So there's multiple ways depending on your situation, of course, but I like that there are options for that. And like you say, you can have multiple MFA options for a single account, which also help you kind of strengthen the, the posture you have to get, get the access back, but do so securely. Exactly. And, and one sort of smaller device here also is that when you create the break glass account, perhaps do not name the account as admin2 at tenant.onmicrosoft.com, but use something that doesn't yell to anybody looking at the account, oh, this is the admin account. Uh, and, and then once once you've sort of, sort of resolved all of this, and I've, I would say by resolving, decided what approach you'd like to use, the last bit is uh, you need to configure monitoring. So anybody who's logging in either successfully or, or just, just trying to guess the password, you need to log those and have alerts fire off. Perhaps you use Azure Sentinel or Azure Monitor or MCAS or something else, but at least have something looking after the logins and, and when you see somebody trying to access that specific account, fire off at least an email or something else so that everybody else knows that something is happening with that crucial account now. Yeah, I, I really like this idea. And I, I had this set up for a lot of things already where I get admin alerts when administrators perform specific tasks, when, for example, resource groups are deleted in subscriptions, or if there are security changes happening in any of my resources across any of my uh, Azure subscriptions or management groups. For example, if someone enables or disables a firewall on a storage account, any storage account, doesn't matter which, I have policies in place that will alert me whenever that happens. So that's just one example. Or if someone adds an access policy to a key vault, wherever that is, I will get an alert and I will know who did it, what identity was used, what was the previous value, what is the new value, when did it happen, what subscription, what management group, everything. Uh, and the same thing applies here, right? And everything that is out of a sensitive nature, uh, something has to do with security, something has to do with privileged access, log it. You need to have an audit log. And, and you will know this if you're a company striving to do like a SOC 2 audit or uh, ISO 27001 or whatever the out of the security frameworks you might be uh, pursuing for your organization. You also know that you need to keep audit logs of certain things. Uh, you need to be able to prove that no unauthorized access have been made to specific accounts and to specific locations and to specific resources. So this, this idea of monitoring, which I realized just now talking about it from the top of my head, we need a, a, a full episode on monitoring administrative actions in Azure. Yeah. Because I have a long list of things here and I, I know they will be useful to, to some people. Uh, some might already know about a lot of the things we just said. 
but I think there might be some nuggets of information in there that is critical to uh, to know. And and perhaps if someone out there tuning in has ideas for for things you should monitor in these situations, we'd love to hear from you as well. So you can just ping us on Twitter or go to the website, of course, to get in touch. So I, I like that. And I like this monitoring aspect. So it's you have the accounts, you have them set up, but if you don't monitor them, you don't know if anyone else is accessing them or if two individuals have access to the break class account or, or five individuals or whatever it is across your organization, how do you know if some, some of these individuals actually took action with this account or not? So just like I monitor things for all my normal admin and my delegated admins, my service admins and global admins, and also global readers when they sign in because they can see a lot of stuff, I uh, would definitely monitor this account. So uh, perhaps with even higher criticality because this should never sign in, right? In the best of worlds, this account should never sign in. When it does, it's because something happened and that something is probably not a good thing. So when that, when that happens, escalate, send a, send a critical high priority email or whatever notification type that you want. Usually email always reaches the recipient and make it clear that someone broke the glass. You know, someone took action using this account. Now you need to figure out if that was on purpose or not. And if it was, why? What's going on? And then probably bring the fire extinguisher and put out the fire in the cloud. That's that's spot on. Uh, as as a sort of last insight here, if somebody is, is thinking of creating this, do it today. Uh, and if you wonder, do you need a license for this account on the Microsoft 365 site? No, you don't, because you're not allocating a mailbox for this account. So this will be a regular Azure AD account that does have the global admin or whatever admin admin uh, membership and then the strong complex password optionally, and it's strongly suggested a strong authentication approach here, but something that you know you can bypass with another strong authentication approach if the MFA infrastructure is down, as an example, and you still need to access everything. And for this reason, you might want to have two, two break glass accounts. Alrighty. Yep. So this was this was interesting. Uh, the last thing, the unexpected question. Uh, this week, Toby, it's going to be your turn to ask me. Okay. So I, I have a, a question, and don't ask me why I'm thinking about this question right now. I, I will give you my answer as well, depending on what you answer, of course. Um, so so the, so the question is, what in what's invisible, but you wish people could see. Interesting. Something that anybody could see, not just me. At times, especially in the winter time, I see somebody somebody walking on the street and, and perhaps passing me and they're smoking. Ideally, it would be great to see if there's any smoke so I could I could I could walk in a different place. But more importantly, I would like to be able to see and everybody else as well. The, the 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 wi-fi radio waves so if i'm walking to a cafe it would be great to see oh there's the best reception in the cafe let me sit there and get a cup of coffee that would be great yeah i mean that's that's one way to see it um personally i'd never use public wi-fi hotspots i use my 4g on my phone because i'm always in locations that has 4g or worst case 3g <laughs> for me What's invisible, but you wish people could see farts 
You know, you walk around in a building <laughs> or a shopping mall or something, all of a sudden you get this smell and you know, oh man, it's not, it's not me. It's not probably not one of my kids because I just checked the diapers look good. Yeah. And, but you get this immense smell and there's someone just looking way too happy than they should be in a shopping mall. It's probably because <laughs> they, if they're like, oh, finally I got it out. Uh, so if you could see farts, I think that would help if you're in the nightclub, if you're in the pub, if you're in a shopping mall, if you're in any location with other human beings uh, or animals for that matter, you know, going into a zoo uh, can be super cool, but it can also be unpleasant if you, uh, if you go into, like I did, the, the lemurs in Sweden, they're called lemuro. I don't know if the English word is uh, lemurs. Um, yeah, whatever. They, they were making all kinds of farts in there. So we almost died uh, of poisoning. Uh, so that's the thing. I would probably want to be able to see. So similar to you, so if you could see someone smoke and you, you could see the, the smoke, which you can do sometimes, but if, if that would be super clear, same thing with the fart. If you could see that, okay, someone, there's a cloud ahead of me, and, you know, <laughs> a, green, a green cloud ahead of me, that's a fart. If I could see that, that'd be great. Then on the other hand, it might backfire because I don't know how many farts are in the general air around me in you know on average in a shopping mall so it could be that the entire place just goes green right because yeah. i don't know uh, but ideally it would be like a very structured outlined cloud coming out okay <laughs> around this group of people someone farted there's a green cloud and then i know not to go that direction i can go the other direction and, and keep being happy yeah but this is maybe a- i will be miserable then because i know someone farted in that direction and then i all of a sudden i have something else to think about which I did not think about before, so it might backfire. Yep. So this is an interesting take. <laughs> I, I haven't considered the question before, and especially not the option that you're raising here. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably rather still get the Wi-Fi or even 5G radio waves instead. But your option, yeah, that's a, that's a distant second in my mind. <laughs> All righty, this was episode 117 on break glass admin accounts. And once you're done listening on this, go and log into your Azure portal and create this account and set it up. Thank you for joining and we hope you join us next week as well. All right, see you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.